0: In a world full of complex challenges,
1: we need more open-hearted opportunities to express ourselves. In a world full of heated debate, we need more open-minded opportunities to listen to each other.
2: In a world full of fear and anxiety, we need more chances to chill and turn toward one another.
3: Join us as we host conversations with educators, artists, activists, community members, and youth to surface the intergenerational wisdom we need to understand, adapt to, and solve the urgent issues facing humanity.
1: Welcome back to another episode in the second series of the Chill Podcast. We are Chill, Kelly, Heather, Lois, and Louise. We are exploring the question, is climate change changing classrooms? And today we are going to have a discussion about some interviews that I had with teachers in the South who are experiencing hurricanes, flooding and heavy rainfall, and I'm going to present more on this in a moment, but before we begin, let's check in. So, Callie, would you mind starting today?
0: I need to check in. I am feeling all anxious and worried because we have this house project happening, and finally in my house, I'm going to get a bathtub I, we have those little garden tubs from 1990 where you sit in eight inches of water and freeze. So I'm putting in a nice deep bath tub and I need it to relax just to survive the construction project. Um, I, we have to put in a new uh, tankless water heater, which requires a water softener, which, and all of it has to be vented to the outside. And it's so many details. And I, my contractor's not communicating well with me and Anyway, I I lost sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night with questions that I I wrote all the texts in the night. And then as soon as it was late enough, then I send the text messages to them. And, you know, life is just that way. And these simple things, uh, one of my great colleagues in New Jersey yesterday said me now, told me, Callie, you need to do a reality check on your perfectionism. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Yes, I need friends who know me who can just realize it's okay to relax. It's okay to have things not be perfect. But I can say we did this lovely blue ocean-looking tile in the bathroom. And the gentleman who installed that, we I had to speak as much Spanish as he knew, and he had to speak as much English as he knew to work to do this project. And he is so artistic. The way he cut the tile is just so it's just beautiful. And I I walk in there and I think the room's going to really work in a relaxing way. The blue tile is just beautiful. Ocean blue. Yeah. Got to tend my grandkids last night, keeping up with work, looking forward to the holidays. Oh, thank you for letting me say all the things that were stressing me. I feel much more prepared to begin.
2: I'm in really good shape right now. I went to the earth shot awards with princess Kate and Prince William last week. And That was amazing to see all the great climate and earth based projects that are getting $1.2 million to advance their thinking uh, or advance their products. That was, you know, like a greenhouse in a box in India that will go out to the rural farmers and help them protect their crops from failing from heat and cold and flood and whatever. And, um, A woman in Africa who's making a cooking stove that doesn't emit poisonous gas and poison all the people who are cooking in their huts and that also can't be knocked over very easily so it doesn't start fires. Anyway, it was really quite an experience and I was thrilled and felt really lucky to be able to be there. Louise, you want to go next?
3: Yeah, I'll jump in because you, I'm envious that you were with Prince William and Princess Kate but last night i started watching the harry and meghan docu series and um i actually i watched two episodes and i am really honestly intrigued because i had read something where you know they were saying oh if you were looking for controversy with the royal family you're not going to find it or something like that but what i loved was that it really felt like a really personal introduction to their relationship. Like I really saw and felt their relationship. And also it has the history of who Harry is because of the childhood that he had. And I actually feel like there's an important story here about authenticity. And and then yesterday I was back with the second graders. I did a little art lesson with them It's connected to a book called Brave Irene, which I love. It's by William Stig. And it's a favorite book that I read to Madeline very regularly because Madeline had a lot of anxiety as a child. I wasn't always the most reliable mother. You know, I would leave her late at after school care. She'd be the last girl on rainy, dark days, standing there with the teacher, wondering if her mother is ever going to come. And so this story about brave Irene who braves a snowstorm to deliver a dress that her mother has made to the Duchess. The artwork is beautiful. William Stig is a wonderful children's writer. And it didn't have a lot of connection to the children except for this idea of being brave. And they really responded. It was a very, yeah, it was so I've been enjoying making all those connections. And it, um, I think that it tied into feeling this connection with Harry, who had to be a brave little boy, not always his
1: authentic self growing up. So anyhow, that's my
3: check-in for today.
1: Thanks, Louise. Speaking of brave children, you know, my son has been anxious as well about going to preschool. But yesterday morning, he woke up and he put his boots on. He forgot to put on pants and he didn't put on a coat and he put on his backpack and he's like, let's go to preschool. (laughs) He was so excited.
0: (laughs) He's so cute. What a kid.
1: And so I went to preschool to pick him up because actually the next day was supposed to be the day that he goes to my mom's house. And we were asking my mom to keep him late so that Ian and I could do some dance and drum stuff in the evening. And I know she, you know, needs some time to herself during the day. And so I said, I'll bring Oliver later. He loves going to preschool now. So I'll take him for a couple hours and then I'll bring him to your house. So I took him to preschool and he didn't happen to be in the room when I got there. He was out for testing on something. So I got to talk to the teachers and get a little more, you know, intel on like, what, what has changed? Why all of a sudden is he just like dying to go to preschool? And they talked about how he'll sit at circle time and just snuggle up to his little best friends and like link arms and like kiss their shoulder. And just like he loves his friends and he loves his teachers. And this morning when I was getting him dressed, he's like, my teacher said not to bring toys and I need to bring an extra pair of clothes and I should bring my homework back, which he doesn't want to touch the homework. He doesn't want to be told to trace lines or shapes or color like But he said, it will make my teacher happy. (laughs) And he wanted to take his homework back to preschool, which for the record, I'm like not into homework either for preschool. But, you know, he I'm expressing his desires and doing what he wants and building relationships. I'm all about that. So anyway, that's been really awesome. So I did pick him up and take him to my mom's house. And then he was kind of mad at me. He's like, mom, I didn't nap at preschool. I wanted to eat and nap and then you come and get me. So like, I totally disrupted his day and thought I was like helping everyone out. And it's just amazing. Kids are so great. They are living their own life. Like he's only three and a half and he already has plans for his day. And I'm already there disrupting them. And when he was an infant, it's just so easy. You take the baby everywhere. They do everything with you. Like they're living this adult schedule with you when you're, A busy adult, but like he's a three year old already with an agenda for his life. So I am just learning to be more conscious in relation to that. So I'm excited about that. But I could still use Brave Irene and I put it on my list (laughs) because there will be some new scary things coming up, like sleeping in his own bed again. (laughs) So I have a studio owner in Florida, who is my dear friend. And recently when hurricane Ian came and hit Florida, as we were sending emails about board meetings and things that we're collaborating on, there was always comments about like managing this disaster and how it's disrupting her life. And I called her this last week to ask her about her experience. And it was fun. I I learned some new things about experiencing hurricanes. I've never experienced one before. And she said, we have a hurricane closet and in April we stock it up with canned goods and toilet paper and flashlights and weather monitors. And then at Thanksgiving they donate everything that wasn't used during the hurricane season for Thanksgiving. And then they do it again. And every year they just stock up and get ready because it's just part of their lived experience there in Florida. But I talked to her about how this affects students and teaching and learning. She's not in the classroom anymore. She mostly hears secondhand from her dance studio dancers. And she recently heard them complaining about going to school to make up hurricane days. So they've missed school because of hurricanes. And now they have to oh, do it at the end of the year. And they're complaining and saying, it's just hard rain. Why won't they let us go to school? And
2: this is in central Florida, right? This is in
1: central Florida. Yep. Near Orlando. And so she just was explaining, like, it's just status quo here. You miss school. You make up the days. A hurricane's coming. Everybody's just in the routine. You watch the weather. You try and predict it. You try to understand what's going to happen. And the show just goes on. It's just not that big a deal. (laughs) Except for the fact that... (laughs) they evacuate their classrooms because schools on the coast that get hit the hardest are damaged and they can't go to school. And there are people who need shelter because their homes are gone. And so her students, it's not that like their school is damaged and they can't go to school. It's that their school is now a shelter for the Red Cross. And that's really disruptive for teaching and learning. So I wanted to play a news clip about what it's like on the coast when schools are damaged. Here's a news report about Hurricane Ian. And just to note, Hurricane Ian did take the lives of over a hundred people and left thousands of people without power and many people homeless. So here's the clip.
4: Hello, DeSoto County residents, students, parents, employees. It's sad to be at DeSoto County High School this morning observing the damage that we're gonna see today. Our high school is gonna be closed approximately two months and we're coming up with an emergency plan to make sure that we continue the education for our high school students. Our other schools we're trying to get online as soon as we can safely do that. We're gonna have an industrial hygienist that will go in each school to make sure they're safe and they're free from mold, that they're gonna be good learning environments for our students, safe places for our employees to work. And as soon as we can get them online safely, we're gonna do that. We're gonna change from a monthly update to a weekly update Each Monday, I'm going to bring a message to give the community where we're at. As soon as we can have an idea of where we're at with schools and we can open them safely, we're going to do that. Please look at the district Facebook site, the district website. We will use robocalls to communicate with you. We're going to send some drone footage up for you to look at so you can see the damage that's happened at the high school. We've got extensive water damage within this building and the roofs. Uh, We've got a crew that's on site right now that's been working. They got here Thursday afternoon at approximately 3.30 after the hurricane to start cleaning our high school up. We had the industrial hygienist looked at the schools in Charlotte County and DeSoto County and our high school he thought was in the worst shape in terms of water damage of the schools that he had seen. So we've got a full-time job ahead of us. We ask you to be with us. We're going to keep you informed and we're going to work hard to get our schools open. We're going to save this high school and we look forward to getting our students back in school. Thank you so much for your patience. God bless each and every one of you in DeSoto County and in the state of Florida. Thank you.
1: Okay, so we were interested in hearing about more experiences that teachers are having with hurricanes, heavy rains, and floods. So Callie and I, as we were driving home this week, got to share a phone call with a teacher in Louisiana. She teaches fifth grade science, and she echoed what my friend in Florida was saying, that these extreme weather events are just a part of the daily they're just so common it's not like really a big topic my friend in Florida actually asked one of her teacher friends if they would be willing to talk to me and they were like there's nothing to say (laughs) it's a regular school day heavy rain regular school day And that's what this teacher in Louisiana was also saying. She teaches in like a temporary building outside of their brick and mortar. She said that the building was built for 500 students but they have a thousand. So students are walking in the weather out to these temporary classes or buildings. They're not temporary classes. And she said, there will be very heavy rain and flooding, and we'll just pack up the laptops and go into the hallway and finish our state testing. Or we'll take our science experiments to the gym or the cafeteria. And just like relocating the learning space is just normal. And the power goes off, and kids don't scream. And it's just normal. Like there's no alarm that is raised because of these events. She said that in the big flood of 2016, teachers were knocking sheetrock out of their home from flooding because they didn't live in the area. Their parish actually didn't receive the damage that other areas had, but the teachers lived in those areas. So they're still showing up for work, teaching all day long, but going home and cleaning up massive mess from massive flooding. And I asked, you know, do you stop and pause and talk about what's happening. Like, does it change the lunchroom for like the faculty room for teachers? And she's like, no, you just keep going status quo, no time to pause and process the event. She said the expectations for learning and for getting through the entire curriculum and parents and district are just so they just have to keep going. So you get disrupted by weather. Yes. But you are responsible to cover all the material and you're going to get it done even if you're disruptive. So I asked both my friend in Florida and this teacher in Louisiana if they knew of any curriculum teaching about climate crisis or human impact on the environment. They both said, not that I'm aware of. This isn't a big topic in our area. It was really just like a non-conversation starter. The science teacher did mention the curriculum that she teaches. There is a district mandated curriculum called Amplify Science that she uses. And then she supplements with the Science Penguin materials, which are materials created by a teacher in Texas, and another curriculum I can't remember the name of. And so she has a mandated science curriculum, and then she has two that she supplements with. And it's interesting because she talked about how The first seven years that she taught, she's been teaching for 11 years, there was no curriculum. She found everything herself and created it. And she felt like in those seven years, she developed her teaching style. She was able to be innovative and creative, and she showed her effectiveness as a teacher. And then they adopted different standards. They adopted a scripted curriculum. And her first year with the scripted curriculum, she was told to teach the curriculum with fidelity. You will say this. The students will say that. And every year since she's done that, she's allowed herself to let go of the scripted curriculum more and more, but she feels that she can only do that because she showed evidence of how effective she is as a teacher. So no one's beating down her back about teaching the scripted curriculum with fidelity, but she likes a lot of things about the scripted curriculum. And it's interesting because it's a a prescribed curriculum, but she is definitely making a lot of choices about what is being taught in the classroom. I forgot to mention her own students, her own children, when they were students in high school, had to share their building with another high school because of damage from weather. And so they went for four hours a day to the high school, and then the other high school came to their building the other four hours of the day. So it's obvious that from the news stories, from these interviews, that extreme weather, climate change is impacting learning. However, it's interesting after these experiences, I don't see it changing curriculum in these areas based on just these two interviews, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I'm going to stop talking and let you guys respond.
2: I just am thinking about this whole thing about it's not a big topic in our area. I mean, Florida and Louisiana are two places that the predictions from the scientists are that they are going to be underwater in a very few years. I mean, I think by 2050, we're talking about... So if we would face this and have a planned retreat, we could get people out of these areas and resettled in areas where they could thrive, but it's not going to happen because we're turning away from it. There's this whole difference between weather, which is, the my friend Bob Chen says, weather is the clothes you have in that you're wearing today. But climate is the clothes you have in your closet. So basically weather is the dailiness and climate is the over time. And they're responding to the weather, but they're not responding to the over which means there's more frequent storms, there's heavier storms, there's more events and they're having more impact. But that's climate. And they're acting as if that doesn't exist. And I just, this idea of the scripted curriculum drives me crazy because they're talking about it. I mean, what I've heard is that people do it in the name of equity. And it's like, yeah, let's make sure that nobody learns anything because we're just going to parrot things back and forth. But it sounds like your friend has choices, but she's not making choices to teach about the climate. And she's a science teacher. I, I just, I'm really baffled. This really baffles
0: me. What's really surprised me, she described, you know, the scripted curriculum and then two supplemental curriculums, and not one of them introduced climate change in any way in these three science curriculums. And I asked the question, you know, does climate change enter into the curriculum? And her answer was, well, we must have different points of view on that topic. And I was stunned to realize that she does not accept climate change, and is a science teacher. I love that her kids are achieving really high on the standards That her kids are are not bothering her about bringing in her own teaching ideas because her students are so high achieving and she's in an area where there's a lot of pressure on achievement and that score, the grade the school gets. But one thing she pointed out is her school doesn't get any credit for her great work because only math and reading count in the school's grade. and, And I just thought, wow, all they're carrying that's what they're focused on. That's what they're looking at. That's what the parents value. So the relevance of what's happening to these students is not even part of their learning. So that idea of are they focused on learning or are they focused on test scores? And that just really concerned me.
3: I think it goes back to Prince Harry. Mm. Because what we're talking about here is the teacher and the curriculum. Right? What the teacher cares about, what the teacher's doing, what's the curriculum, how she decides. But where are the students? I mean, if their homes get flooded, if there's mud in the living room, this makes an impact on children's lives. It makes an impact on families. Parents get worried. There's a lot of stress. And if there's not an opportunity to look at what's happening, why is it happening? What kind of anxiety do we have? Children are not in a bubble where they're not hearing about how the hurricanes, the dramatic rains in their cities aren't isolated events. They're hearing about places where people are dying and losing their homes. And if they're not having a chance to bring what the concerns that they have inside them to the fore, they're not learning what they really need to be, I mean, they, well, I guess my point is, this brings us back to Harry. They can be learning things that they can provide, regurgitate onto a standardized test, but the trauma to human beings is what gets hidden. And so there, Harry is an example of that, I would say.
2: High achieving,
3: but apparently suffering terrible trauma that
2: has really disrupted his adult life. Allie, I want to ask you why you didn't challenge this teacher with data. I mean, we have that data from NASA. We have statistics like 97% of or 100% of scientists who work on climatology understand that climate change is caused by human beings. The data is so clear. And I'm curious about your decision to sort of tamper that down and move on and have a nice conversation or not to antagonize her or anyway, why'd you do it that way?
0: The parameters were set up for the conversation that she had never met me or Heather before. It was a cold phone call. She didn't really understand what the topic was. There was no permission given or a situation granted for honest conversation. We set it up that we would be asking her opinion and her insight and they did not feel appropriate to, in the middle of the conversation, say, I disagree with you. Now, can we ask permission to have a different kind of conversation? So we were there to listen. And that was all she had agreed to.
2: Hmm. Wow, I get it. But I just feel like, what do we do when we run into the face of people not knowing and having strong opinions? You know, I mean, you made a decision in this case, and I understand your decision. But this is a much bigger thing. You know, there are great, wonderful people out there who have been constrained by the information sources that they have, the opinions of people that they respect who are not informed. And I think, you know, there's this whole thing. People think my friend Jackie was just down in uh, Brazil and all the people in her family down there support Bolsonaro. Whereas, you know, she would support Lula. Lula's doing stuff with climate change, not burning down the rainforest. And Bolsonaro's people are all like, it's our rainforest. You burn down your forest. Why can't we burn down our forests? You know, leave us alone, you colonial imperialists. And, you know, it's like, eh, it's very tricky. And so Jackie chose not to confront her brother and other people with their political opinions. And I think a lot of us do that. And I just, I think we can't afford not to have the
0: conversation. I think you're right. But that's why we started this podcast. And it, it maybe one of the things we'll learn is when we call to set up an interview, it might be important to set up future interviews with different parameters set. This woman didn't even know what the phone call was about. She was acting on good will from a friend. And I also think we have to think about when are, and how are people teachable? This individual had three solid science curriculums. She loves science. And what it reminded me of Lois was, one time you and I were talking about how do we get teachers to be more connected to the world around them today and in this moment? And your answer to me was contemporary artists. You'd said to me, Callie, if you expose your teachers, To more contemporary artists, it will help them be relevant and help them be, um, you know, more empathetic and understanding of human nature and other differences and differences of opinions. And I think in this teacher's case, the first thing that came to my mind is she's not even using contemporary scientists. She is relying on standard curriculum written and scripted and handed to her, and she's not reading any contemporary scientists. And what a disconnect. So I, you know, went on our state website after the conversation and reviewed where is Utah on this issue. And we have had climate change in our core standards in science for a very, very long time. Our science standards for middle school were written in 2015, and their article I read said our, that climate standards were in even before that. Now, recently we have school board members, there was a whole article on outrageous quotes of school board members talking about evolution and climate change. They absolutely were fighting that children never be taught that climate change is caused by people. And the science educators said there's too much evidence to the contrary. And for the most part, the school board members who were conservative fighting for these things lost out. And in Utah, the science standards do mention climate change. Our Utah Education Network has an incredible video series teaching climate change. And all of that is there. But I wonder if, in my own state, if I could find science teachers who choose not to present it that way, Are, you know, do we turn to our current
1: and present day scientists? That's what's so interesting. You went to Utah's website to see the standards. I went to Louisiana's to see the standards because she has this scripted curriculum with no climate change, no human involvement in the experience of our environment. And I went and I found on the Louisiana State education website an entire environmental literacy program. And they have a commission for environmental literacy. And then I went and looked at the fifth grade science standards. And there are two big key ideas about climate and human impact on the environment. So she has the standards. There are state initiatives. And she is making choices not to to teach those things. I mean, the closest she got telling us in the conversation was, Oh, yeah, we talk about Katrina and how the levees broke. And we do an activity where what do we do to save our our town from flood? But it's an exercise rather than an experience or a knowing, I think, possibly. I mean, I I can't say it because I haven't seen it in the classroom. And I think that truly with this person, we've talked for half an hour. We've never met there would need to be a lot more conversations to truly understand. Because even in the conversation, there were a lot of things that Callie and I were nodding our heads. We have shared values in many ways. And one of them was, she wishes that elementary school teachers were taken more seriously as people who understand content. Now we were having doubts because we're like, well, you're not teaching about climate change and you're a science teacher. But she wants to be respected as someone who knows and is teaching children? She felt very strongly that elementary education is where you set the foundation for your life, and we believe that too. And there just would need to be a lot more conversations to really understand this teacher.
2: Yeah, I think one of the problems that I've experienced as an elementary teacher and at, you know working with lots of elementary teachers is the lack of disciplinary expertise. So many elementary teachers were never expert in any discipline. You know, they weren't science experts. They weren't literature experts. They weren't mathematics experts. They weren't, you know, we were generalists. And so we relied on translations from the experts through educationists to us. And I think that's a problem with our professional development and our college. It's not a problem with, I mean, it's not the teacher's, Drop the ball. You know, the teachers didn't drop the ball. It's the system that dropped the ball in educating those teachers. I think teachers have got to understand what expertise is. They really have to become disciplinary experts in something so that they understand what that is. And then it's like, then you would start to read real science or read real mathematicians. It's important.
3: Except that everything is changing so quickly all the time. And so it's about disciplinary knowledge, but also connecting to experts. And I mean, this is where the internet is such an important place. Our young people need to be researchers and they need to be finding out. You know, as I'm listening, I'm I'm just thinking that this idea of relationships, like finding out from children, the children in the classroom, what was your experience like? Like that's a finding out kind of experience that many teachers miss. I think that we're missing as we worry about children's learning loss from COVID. And we're not instead asking, you know, mining children's experience to find out what they have experienced through living through a global pandemic at the ages of four and five and six there would be so much important knowledge for all of us but also i love that you know we're just reaching out and having these conversations and finding out what people are doing or not and i don't think we can be surprised that people are using scripted curriculum because i experience
2: it when i go to my second grade classroom
3: but and then i think the other where
2: you're volunteering louise i'm volunteering and, yes.
3: and I'm shocked by it, but I also am impressed by the dedication, the stability, the love and the well-meaningness that this teacher brings to her students. And that is a lot in their lives. So then I also I kind of like a roots and trees thing, because if we do have standards and statewide curriculum in various states, which we do that addresses climate change is an important part of our science story. It's like how do we get it down to the teachers? And it you know, it reminds me of when there are disasters, people will send food and clothing that never gets to the people who need it, right? And so this is kind of the problem that we have. What is that trick? Or what is it that needs to change so that and I think it is about relationships. I think it's about collaboration. I think it's about finding better ways to use the internet. I think it's about open education resources. And it's about teachers learning from each other and opening up their classrooms and also learning from their students.
2: And trust, lots of trust. I mean, there's so much distrust. I think what this fifth grade teacher was saying about elementary education, it is the foundation. It is the trunk of the tree. And the disciplines are not Like differentiated so much at that point. They're very much the same. But that doesn't mean that a teacher doesn't need to know what disciplinary expertise is, because when you're bringing multiple disciplines to the foundational learning of kids, they need to be connected and tied in, but they also need to be building toward higher levels of expertise in the disciplines themselves or in some of the disciplines. So, I keep thinking about this. In the 90s, there was a researcher at Project Zero who worked with Disney's education arm to make these videos called The Creative Classroom. I don't know if they're even available anymore, but they were like six minute long videos of a teacher who'd won a Creative Classroom Award. And one of them was Leslie Revis, who was a high school Spanish teacher in North Carolina. And one of the things she was doing was she had this man appears in the video in his police uniform and he came come in because her students were translating the evacuation orders for hurricanes into spanish and so this guy was coming to thank them for their work in making these documents available for people who didn't speak enough english to know what to do in the hurricane evacuation plans. And I thought, I mean, this this teacher was a genius. She found all sorts of ways to bring reality into her Spanish language classroom. And the kids wanted to speak Spanish, so they spoke Spanish. You know, and they learned to speak Spanish. And I think, you know, climate change is one of those opportunities, you know, where we could, these things are meaningful. They had the experience of having to walk through water or make up school days or go home and watch their parents beat out the drywall that was wet. I mean, I remember having an experience with a hurricane in the 1990s. I think it was Hurricane Bob. And I had been planning to go down to the Cape to see friends of mine. And so I went. Turned out, you know, everybody's saying you can't go. You can't go. Hurricane Bob is going. And I thought, oh, you know, it's, it's just a northeast hurricane. It won't be a big deal. And I drove over the bridge to the Cape and it, I was the last car who got to go over the bridge and then they closed the bridge. And I had brought E.B. White's book of essays because he had an essay about a hurricane coming up from the coast of Florida. And and it takes days when you're in Maine, as E.B. White was. And, you know, they kept watching and waiting for the hurricane to come and eventually it just fizzled out. But we were sitting in my friend's study and the trees are like bending like crazy outside. and The rain is coming down and we're reading aloud this E.B. White essay about the hurricane coming up the coast. And it's like, I'm not saying that's I don't know. It's just that focusing on what's there is such a potent, rich potential. And it's just, it's so important and it's so exciting. And I don't understand, it's so engaging. I just, I think it's terrible that our systems don't allow
0: people to be passionate and engaged. There's two educational principles that you're really hitting on. The idea of relevance, how many researchers in education have shown that the more relevant something is, the better the students learn it, and what's more relevant than the world around you? And certainly we're missing an educational opportunity when we stick to scripted curriculum that doesn't allow us to follow the news and track what's happening and relevant in the world and, in fact, impacting our homes and families. And the second really significant principle right now is trauma and the impacts of trauma on learning and the entire trauma-sensitive schools movement that, you know, their conference is growing every year because teachers need some place to turn to how to support the shared traumas that we're enduring. And, you know, COVID was certainly a global trauma that we all endured. So, Lois, I think what you're saying is, has been very well documented and there are many, many responses to it. And it's amazing to me how many practices we still have that are in antithesis to some of the solutions people are finding to access each human being individually. So this has got to be
2: a power thing. You know, who's making these decisions? They're not reading the educational literature. And
3: I think we have to also acknowledge the trauma that's happened to teachers. Lois, you were talking about distrust. Teachers are very understandably distrustful. And I think we are so lucky for the teachers who are willing to talk to us But teachers have been blamed. They've had their names and their test scores written up in newspapers. And there's a real defensiveness there that is completely understandable. The task that they are being asked to accomplish, which is to bring this completely complex and chaotic world into the space of young children so that they can understand the world they're inheriting and developing the disciplinary skills in order to respond and to work together, it's huge. <laughs> and so I think, Callie, thank you. We This work of trauma for teachers is so important so that teachers can come with vulnerability, come with honesty, come with openness. That's very, very hard work.
1: Talking about trauma, I just, I can't stop thinking about this imagination I have it. This is not a real thing. But in my mind, I am a child in a hurricane at school and I know my teacher's house has been destroyed and I am sick to my stomach and needing to use the bathroom every hour because I don't know if my teacher's okay. And that that's just like a feeling and a vision in my mind that I've had through this whole conversation. Because I've been the student in the classroom with tears in my eyes with the teacher saying, Wipe it off. Let's get to work. When I'm just concerned about someone in the room or about something at home. And that's what I wanted to learn about. That's what I wanted to deal with. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because it was sitting in my heart.
0: One of the things we know is that anything learned with stress is recalled with that same stress because of the way the neural pathways are laid down and the emotions you attach to information as it's formed then those same neural pathways are activated when you access that information. So I wonder, you know, we all shared COVID and we all learned stressful things and I've heard people describe that you can't really talk about learning loss. They just learn different things and mm-hmm. did we really lean into the situation and learn what we could. And, you know, watch the things on TV that were showing ecosystems come to life in the cities because they were closed down. And did, did we learn, take the time to learn different things or where our families so stressed out trying to make ends meet trying to still maintain jobs you know the, there's many different things that happened and ways that people responded and we can all relate to it because of the complexity that covid brought into our lives so these children dealing with these climate instances all the time and the situation just continues to go on the teaching just goes on i really wonder what would happen if we interviewed people 10 years from now and listen to how this is really impacting them. And they might be performing really well
1: on tests,
0: but can they describe what happened to them in the world as they were growing up?
1: My friend in Florida made this really interesting observation about how people talk about hurricanes. And she said, no hurricane has its own identity. Yeah, it gets a name. They give it a name for that year and they have their system." But when people in Florida talk about hurricanes, they always talk about the present hurricane as a reincarnation of a past hurricane. So, oh, this hurricane is like David or Irma or Andrew. Like, remember how (laughs) it came up on the coast like this and then it fizzled out that way. But then someone else will say, but remember Helen or remember Harry because it did this. And so this idea of being present to the present moment, every hurricane is its own hurricane. And you do not know how it will be defined by its behavior until it happens because it will always be uncertain. But it's almost like we try and take some certainty out of looking at the past history and giving it almost another name by calling it, okay, it's, it's Hurricane Ian, but remember it's like Irma. It's, it can't even be its own thing and we're not being present to the fact that it is uncertain. And that's what's scary. I think
2: we really have to deal with the scariness. There's something about people who are saying, you know, that they don't want to face climate change or it's just another day at school or it's not in my science curriculum. And I think we really have to paw around in there and figure out what is it that is making these people turn away from information, from understanding. And I can only think it's got to be
1: fear. Or desensitization. That's what my friend in Florida said she's like you deal with it long enough and it's an everyday thing it's every year you just are desensitized to it she she kind of likened it to an abusive relationship like it just is what is and I mean that goes to one of the climate myths that like the climate's always been changing and this is like <laughs> it's Which like it has yes but the rate of change is unlike any state the earth has been in, in the past. So this is not earth named Andrew, who's kind of like Harry. This is like a new earth, a new planet with its own, not really that unpredictable. We have science to show some of the predictions, but yeah, it is scary.
0: How will the children tell the stories of these hurricanes if we don't let them talk about these hurricanes while they're experiencing them? Well, thank
3: you. Heather and Callie, for talking to teachers and for giving us the opportunity today in our chill podcast to talk to each other and have the conversation and get closer to the people who are enduring these extreme climate conditions. Our next episode, episode three, and our series on Is Climate Change Changing Classrooms? We're going to be talking to educators in Paradise, California so we'll be going from hurricanes in the southeast part of our country to wildfires in the western part of our country. In 2018, educators going to work in the morning expecting a day in the classroom as usual and having to evacuate all of the children from their school and out of the city of paradise where ultimately The wildfire killed 89 people, destroyed 19,000 homes. So we'll be talking about that, what that experience was like, and looking at four years later, how has that experience shaped what's happening in Paradise, California? Listeners, we want to invite you into the conversation because we are all learning from each other how to show up with love, respect, and courage as we all face
1: issues on our changing planet. The Chill Podcast is produced by the BYU Arts Partnership. Special thanks to James Houston for editing, Tavin Barrowman for the artwork, and Scott Fox for the music. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review. This helps tremendously as we work to bring more people to our chill conversations. You can find the show notes and more about chill at thechillpodcast.com or on social media. Our handle is at thechillpodcast. And that's chill, C-H-L-L- for Callie, Heather, Lois, and Louise. We can't wait to chill with you next time.